on 95.9, 106.9. This is Ira of Ira on Sports. Mike and Sean are away t- this week. I think they're battling from their game on uh, last night that the uh, Cowboys beat the Giants. I'm here with Scooter behind the glass, who's going to give us some of his comments about the Buccaneers and about the Giants. We have a, just a jam-packed show today. We, ha- we have one of the bi- best boxing matches I've ever seen in my entire life was Saturday night. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have Kelly Pavlik, former middleweight champion of the world, to give his impressions of the fight. We're going to finish up a little about tennis. I don't think I've ever heard so much tennis talk in my life, and it's all about Serena Williams. And then I was at the Steeler game yesterday. I don't know if you want to call it a game or, I don't know, maybe it's a practice that wasn't a game. But I was at the Steeler-Kansas City Chief performance uh, yesterday, and we'll talk about all the pro football games. And then we're also going to talk about baseball playoffs starting and, of course, college football, because on Saturday I was at the Penn State-Kent State game, and I came back and watched about 25 other college football games, and it was an amazing weekend for sports. But let's first start with the Canelo-Triple-G fight. A lot of people didn't watch it. It was 1130 at night. It's on pay-per-view. You had to pay $75 for uh, Canelo Alvarez from Mexico beat Triple G uh, from Kazakhstan um, in a very, very close decision. Two judges had it seven to five, seven rounds to five, and one judge had it a draw. This was their second fight. The first fight ended actually in a draw. A little bit to know about Canelo, he's 28 years old. He's now 51 and two, 34 by knockout, and Triple G is 38 one and one. Um, he didn't even do an interview after the fight. He was so disappointed. I scored the fight. 8-4 Triple G. I think that these are both knockout performers. Triple G, they both play, were very good defensive. Triple G's never been knocked down in his life. And he, I thought he won the fight. I thought he took it to Canelo. I thought he, got, he threw more punches. And even though he didn't have the power punches, uh, it was just a very interesting scoring about how the fight was scored. Um, all three judges scored the fight the same way for the first six rounds. 4-2 Canelo. There's three judges. And then 7-8 and 9, each judge gave Triple G a round. But then in the uh, 10th and 11th, they all gave Triple G the round, a 10 and 11. But in the 12th round was key, a round that most observers thought that Triple G dominated and won the fight. They threw the same amount of punches, but Triple G seemed to be controlling the fight. But two judges gave that round to Canelo. That's made the difference, 7-5. Otherwise, it would have been a draw, 6-6, all across the board. Um, Punch stats for the fight. Triple G had 234 punches to 202 uh, for Canelo. He landed, he had 118 to 59 on jabs. And Canelo had 143 power punches to 116 for Triple G. Um, It was interesting because... I think people held it back, held, Triple G said, I'm going to take the fight to him. I'm going to throw power punches. But he jabbed a lot. But there's nothing wrong with jabbing when clearly Canelo was getting injured in these jabs. He was bloodied in his face. Uh, I thought Triple G dominated the fight and throwing more punches, controlling the fight. He, Canelo was walking around. He, he was moving more the aggressor. But I don't think you should get points for walking. I don't think you should get points for moving in the ring. I think the, but on one hand, though, it was a great fight. They both are very def- good defensive fighters and offensive fighters. They were throwing punches. How many times have we watched Mayweather fight or other fighters? And there's clinching, and there's low blows, and there's the corner, and there's the controversy. There's no blows. The referee, I think, had to come one time in the fight and, and, and break up a clinch. Each fighter was throwing punches the entire round. It was just exciting. You thought, and by the fact that each fighter is a knockout artist, that at any moment, one could knock the other out. Um, on the commentary was Max Kellerman, Roy Jones Jr. and Jim Lantley for HBO. Totally biased. I mean, they definitely wanted Canelo to win. There was definitely a bias. The fact that Canelo is a younger fighter is going to be better for boxing. Triple G might retire after this fight. And so it was better for boxing that Canelo won because you want to keep a fighter like him with a better record with, with all those things. And so they were, during the fight, I think they were saying, well, it's, it's over, Canelo's dominating. And, and people I were watching with, you know, clearly saw that Triple G was dominating in the fight. But it wasn't a highway robbery. It wasn't one of those fights where you say, it's a, it, it just horrendous, worst decision I've ever seen. I think it was a bad decision. I think Triple G won. It was a close fight. But it wasn't, Canelo fought a great fight, fought very well. And I could see where somebody could potentially give it to him. So I think I don't think it was the worst thing that possibly happened. Um, but of course, everybody's been talking about now it sets up a trilogy, sets up a third fight. We got to see how many people bought the fight, how it did. But considering how boxing has been done and what's been talked about, this is the fight that people want to see. They want to see two of the best boxers in the world, if not the best boxers in the world, in their 
near prime fighting. And I think it's what we got uh, on Saturday night. And I'm looking forward, hopefully, to get a third fight. I mean, there was a mention that Mayweather and Pacquiao now is rumored. Um, that's not a great fight. I mean, that was not even a good fight a couple years ago, let alone now, um, when Mayweather hasn't fought in so long and really didn't fight at all against uh, McGregor. So I think this is going to be the fight that people want to see, in a, in, and hopefully they'll fight in six months from now. Um, we'll have Kelly on, Kelly Pavlik, former middleweight champion of the world, on in about five minutes to give his take on the fight. But I want to move now to a little about tennis. So I follow tennis. I watch tennis. I enjoy it so much. And nobody talks about it. i like, oh, did you see that match? And it's not like football where I can say, oh, that Steeler-Kansas City game. Everybody was so great. Nobody, I can, there's no one for me to talk to. Even though I go to the U.S. Open and I see 100,000 people and I'm like, I can talk to all these people about it. But it's amazing how many people have comments about the Serena match. It is the number one topic of conversation. I think people know I follow tennis. And they talk about it constantly. People are calling me up. And I just wanted to clarify something because we had Bob Pennington, the coach from Colgate, on. And it was um, a little confusing in terms of how it was done. But let me explain something. Is There's a code system in tennis. Whereas that the first violation of the code is a warning. The second violation is a point. And the third violation is a game. So it, when the people talk about this, today I just saw a headline that uh, Silic in a Davis Cup match by Ramos was given a warning for racket abuse. It was because it's his first violation. Serena's first violation was coaching. Her second violation was breaking a racket. And her third violation was talking and complaining to the ref, not the comment about uh, uh, making an apology. Just it went on forever. You cannot in any sport talk to a ref for like three minutes straight and the ref is going to then give you another warning and took the game away from her. So she was not defaulter for the match. She still had a chance and she probably should have just left it as losing a point. And another point that I think people will remember is, have to remember is that in 2001, she lost to Samantha Stoser in the final. And Stoser won 6-2, 6-3. And facing breakpoint at the start of the second set, Williams hit a forehand, and she celebrated saying, come on, because it was a good forehand. But Stoser hadn't hit the ball. And so the umpire said that Williams hindered the opponent's ability to, ability to do it. And then she then started – now, this, is a woman, this, uh, this uh, umpire was a woman. And then Williams started yelling at the umpire and, they, and uh, insults, and there was a code violation for verbal abuse. And there's actually a second point, a point was taken away. And, and then the same thing. So it was a woman who gave the thing. Another penalty she had was against Kim Kleister's where she was called for a, a double fault, a foot fault at a point. She complained, complained, complained. And then it became, again, another violation. And she did get, she was defaulted from that whole match. So this has happened at the US Open twice before with serious violations where she's lost points in those matches. So I just think one thing I keep hearing about everyone, they call me and say, do you think that she's being treated differently than men? This uh, umpire Ramos has been has given point violations to ma- many men. Andy Murray can't stand him, who's one of the top tennis players in the world. Uh, he's given point violations to Djokovic. So it's I just think a situation where people want to talk about it and think it's unfair and these things. Serena should have I think look the first vi- the first violation for coaching was probably a little unfair, but she should have not slammed a racket down and broken a racket. I watched the Open for two weeks and I saw maybe two other times that someone broke the racket. Should have broken a racket and got the second one. And when she got a point taken one from her, she should have just played the match out. It was only one point out of hundreds of points that are played in a match. So in the end, I hope Serena can recover from this, come back next year. She has 23 majors. She has to break Margaret Court's record, who has 24. She can get to 25. And I think she had a successful year coming back from considering her pregnancy. I think she did great this year. Better than I think people expected. I expect her to come back next year and win a couple of majors and have the record. But again, it's, she has to set a role model and not start yelling at these umpires like she did. Real quick on tennis, um, TF, Francois TFO, who was on our show, played in the Davis Cup uh, match, which is a way they do. It's sort of like the Ryder Cup of tennis, over tennis. And in five sets, he lost um, in, in the deciding match against Croatia for the team to go to the finals. But he played great. I saw parts of the match. It was an amazing match. America lost, but I really thought it was a good match. And one other thing to mention is that Amanda Anasova, 
Sue is a name that I hadn't even heard about in a long time. She just turned 17 years old, and she was the world's number ranked two junior. But she made it to the finals of the Japan Open, which is really not that big a tournament. But she was born in Friel, New Jersey. She lives in Florida. And at Indian Wells, she actually beat a, a top player in the world. But when you're looking to see who is the next great American, someone who's going to just capture the imagination, I always like that. This Anastova, she's almost six feet tall. She hits the ball very hard. Uh, she She's an excellent player, and people are now saying this was this. Even the Japan Open is not the U.S. Open. There weren't any big names there, but making it to the finals when you're 17 years old uh, puts some pressure on her. So I'm going to be looking forward next year to see how she does in tennis. But for all intents and purposes, tennis is almost done. There's a few matches in Asia. There's the the final at the end of the year in November, but the majors are all that really matters. And I would not expect to see Federer and Nadal, and maybe not even Djokovic, play anymore until the Australian Open in January. So we're going to, again, this is Ira of Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9 in West Palm Beach. Uh, we're going to have Kelly Pavlik, the former middleweight champion of the world, talk about the Canelo Alvarez Triple G fight coming up in a couple of minutes. He should be calling in. Um, he was His take on the fight's pretty good. To get it from someone, the interesting thing about Kelly is, and we'll talk about it, is that he knocked out almost everyone in the first or second round. He had fought uh, 40 fights, and 20 of his fights were knocked out, knockouts in the first and second. So let's just turn now to um, the NFL. A couple takeaways from this week before we go into the games. And I'm going to go through all the games. And this is sort of a fantasy purposes too. Running backs. Running backs, there was only three running backs that rushed for 100 yards. Matt Breida, who nobody knows except me, who I picked in my fantasy for San Francisco 49ers. Tevin Coleman for Atlanta. And Lindsey for Denver. <laughs> Not the biggest names. They're the only ones who rushed for 100 yards. There's 32 games. Well, 30 games were played. Only three backs even made it to 100. But three backs had 13 receptions. 13. Not three, not four, not five. 13. McCafferty, Barkley, and Thompson. It just shows how these backs are used. If you watch the game, the change in football is happening before your eyes. Running backs now are not pounding. They're not running 30 times a game. Peterson ran last week 30. Generally, though, when you're looking at Barkley, he's not going to get 100 yards. He's not going to get, but he's going to catch the ball 13, 14, 10 times, and that's where he's going to get his yardage. Another thing to watch from these games, the number two wide receivers. It used to be, there's the star wide receiver, there's the second one. But the number two wide receivers are now stars in their own right. Uh, Adam Thielen had an amazing game with 12 catches, 120 yards. He's on my fantasy team also. Amazing game. Juju Schuster for the Steelers is Antonio Brown's number two. But Juju had 16 catches for 120 yards. An amazing game. And then also Deshaun Jackson for Tampa Bay is the number two wide receiver. A great game. So when you're looking at these teams, looking fantasy-wise or just looking to enjoy the games, the number two wide receivers now are just as good as the number ones. You're also seeing tight ends catch the ball. Jesse James for the Steelers. Travis Kelce for the Kansas City Chiefs. Howard for Tampa Bay. Ertz for Philadelphia. All were in the top 15 in yards caught. Tight ends don't block anymore. They catch balls. And they catch balls and they're integral parts of the offense. A couple other things. Kickers were awful. Now, part of this is because they have moved the, the extra point back 10 yards. So you're going to miss some extra points. There were 62 out of 69 extra points made. Now you say, oh, that's high percentage. But it used to be you saw an extra point miss. It's a, it's a miracle. There were weeks went by a couple years ago where there were, there were, I think six weeks went by, nobody missed an extra point. Seven ex- missed extra points. And on field goals, it was 39 out of 51. The Minnesota kicker missed three field goals, and he lost his job. Cleveland's kicker missed two field goals. He lost his job. So I think that's great. I think it's more exciting that when you have an extra point that someone could miss. And I think it's also better when you have field goals that, that who knows what's going to happen. Another major point is that the roughing the passer penalties, 21 to 9. There's much more roughing the passers, or we're going to get into that. But right now, we're going to talk to Kelly Pavlik, former middleweight champion of the world, one of the greatest knockout artists and fighters of all time. Kelly, thanks for coming on Iron Sports on uh, 95.9, 106.9 at West Palm Beach. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And uh, so... Kelly, I mean, it's interesting. I was talking to the audience a little bit that you had 40 wins, 34 by knockouts, and the vast majority of your fights were, knocked, were, were knockouts in the first and second round. So you didn't really let the fights go to decisions. 
So in the terms of this fight, uh, and you know, this is certainly the decision, what did you think overall in terms of, before we get into that, what did you think going into this fight uh, in terms of where did you think, how, how did you think this fight was going to set up and then tell us about what had the fight, how you actually, your observations of it. But going into the fight, what did you think about what was going to happen? Yeah, well, it was a big discussion, you know, obviously for a couple of weeks on my podcast and, uh, you know, on who was going to win. And, you know, we had breakdown, like, how, how would Canelo win? How would Triple G win? And, you know, I said my personal opinion was Canelo's got to fight like Triple G did in the first fight and Triple G got to fight like he did in the first fight to win. Um, I think Canelo uh, needed to keep the fight in the middle of the ring and that he would win, he would be able to outbox because I think he's a little slicker fighter than Triple G. And um, he did that. He, he went into the fight, and my opinion on it was that he won the fight. He won enough of the early rounds. A lot of people were going, yeah, but Triple G's jab. Well, what well, I said, Triple G's jab was the one that was uh, an effective punch and, and everything else. And I really couldn't agree, and I watched the fight twice. I I seen that Canelo's body shots was the only effective punch that was going on in the early rounds, and it actually kept Triple G from trying to back Canelo up. It kept him, you know, he was uh, real bittery, and every time Canelo went to go throw a punch, which actually opened up a couple uppercuts and hooks for Canelo to land. <clears throat> so I think Canelo did exactly what he was supposed to do to win that fight. Was it easy? Absolutely not. He was fighting Triple G. I do think Triple G started picking it up um, in the later rounds, but unfortunately, in a couple of them close rounds, I don't think he got, you know, he didn't win those rounds. So I ended up scoring the fight 115-113 for Canelo. Um, you know, uh, people go on and, well, copy box. If you, if you say a copy box and you don't really know what you're talking about boxing because <laughs> copy box is that Canelo was landing more punches on copy box earlier in the fight. Um, you know, so he, he was up on copy box, but then Triple G lay a lot of more punches in the later rounds, but you you judge uh, round by round, you know, just because at the end of the fight that somebody was up on copy box don't mean that you could go back and erase the rounds that Canelo had already won, you know, so, um, yeah, I had I definitely had Canelo 115, 113, and it would have been out of the question to have it 116 and 112. And, you know, it was a type of fight, though, depending on how you like to score, that if you had Triple G winning the fight, it's not absurd and it's not crazy. I mean, I could see where people would think that Triple G won the fight. Uh, I've just seen a lot of people saying that Triple G got robbed and there was no robbery in that fight. Yeah, I agree. What, what, in terms of the difference between the two fights, what do you think Canelo did different in this fight than he did in the first fight? The first fight, I gave Canelo the first three rounds, and then I gave every round after to Triple G. And, I mean, there were some close rounds in that first fight later on in the fight that Canelo could have won. I just gave him to Triple G. But uh, he won those first three rounds when he stayed in the middle of the ring. Um, again, you know, he, the first fight, he went back on the ropes. You can't, I mean, if you was afraid of starting too much energy in the middle of the ring, when you're fighting a guy that hits like Triple G does, and who throws a lot of punches. And when you go back to the ropes, I mean, your body's absorbing those punches, absorbing them, and um, you carry those punches for a long time. You may not carry them the next round, but you're going to carry those body shots and punches to the arms in around 8, 9, 10. And um, that's what Canelo did wrong in the first fight. And again, I, you know, I told a couple people on the show my predictions. I said, uh, Canelo, if he's going to win the fight, it's going to be by staying in the middle of the ring and now boxing and countering Triple G. Well, I mean, I think going into the first fight, there was this perception about Triple G, this almost legend that he has this, that he can knock everybody out, that he's had a very hard punch. Uh, do you think that Canelo was maybe afraid of that punch? Not say afraid, I don't want to use that term afraid, but just more wary of that punching power in the first fight. But then going to the second fight, he sort of said, you know what, I can take that hit so I can throw more punches. No, you know, from from especially my my side of it, but uh, a lot of other fighters I talk to, usually, you know, Triple G with Danny Jacobs, a very um, if you watch that fight the second time, very controversial fight. And if you take that knockout out, out of the uh, Danny Jacobs Triple G, if anybody wants to argue that, they're just being biased. 
Um, or they were just like really big time Triple G fans. But the Danny Jacobs fight was very close, and I was you could have gave it a draw, um, even with the knockdown. So Danny Jacobs, you know, when he realized like this guy is not like Superman, you know, and he fought, he, that was a heck of a fight. And I think what Canelo did in that first fight was, I, I think that he was uh, worried about his conditioning, you know, staying in the middle of the ring. And I think that he took some shots from Triple G, and I think he said the same thing, and that's why, because if somebody hits that hard, you're not going to stay on the ropes. That, that ropes are the most dangerous place to be, no matter who you're fighting, let alone against a guy like Triple G. You know what I mean? So... If he was that concerned, I don't think he would have been hanging out on the ropes for this fight. But um, I think that that mainly came down to uh, trying to tire out Triple G, you know, lure him in and then try to drag him into deep waters. And I think that's what kind of happened in that first fight. So you fought when you fought Jermaine Taylor. You said you actually fought uh, closer. I mean, it was a few months after when you won the title and had a rematch. Do you what was going in your head saying, okay, now we both I fought him once, I'm gonna fight him again right now? Is that did you feel did, did you like a, I'm trying to put your mind in Canelo's mind and Triple G's mind also in terms of the adaptions, the changes they made to get into this fight, thinking that, uh, all right, I, I've you know, I have this, I had now I don't have to just watch a film on someone, I've just fought him. So, does mm-hmm. looking back at the Jermaine Taylor, the two fights you fought with him, did you go in that second fight with a different mindset? Uh, because having known that you just fought the guy, or did you what did you like, what did you learn from the first fight that helped you in the second fight? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, and I could give you from experience. But, uh, you know, after the first fight, uh, I wasn't going into the second fight. I, I wasn't expecting, you know, I didn't go into training camp thinking that I was going to end up knocking him out again. You know, we didn't even train for the, the knockout. I had enough confidence in that first fight because I knew I won rounds, and, you know, my job was everybody as good as his, and I knew I could outbox him, too, um, or not above it, outpoint him. But also, you know, the big thing about a rematch is, is that you got to kind of also, it's not like going back and watching film of what you did wrong and what he did wrong, but it's also trying to predict what he may do or how he may change his game plan going into that next fight, you know. Um, and that's what you got to try to figure out. Like, you got to put yourself in issues and, and also think, like, well, is he going to come out swinging? Is he going to come out being very defensive? Uh, so you got to find out what his strategy might be, but also fix the things that you did wrong in the first fight. And I think you know, like I, I told a couple people, Triple G had a, or Canelo had a good amount of time to figure out like what he did wrong because that first fight, I told people, and it's not that I'm being a bigger Canelo fan by no means. I'm talking, I, I like Triple G, and I respect that guy a lot. I, I think he's a good person overall, also. So I'm just saying, like. It was a draw that first fight, but I I felt that Triple G didn't win that fight. I felt more so in the first fight that Canelo gave Triple G that fight by fighting the way he did, by putting himself on the ropes, you know, especially after how he looked in the first three rounds. Um, but, uh, you know, this fight they had over a year <clears throat> to, to figure out film, uh, break down, and then also, you know, not do what they did. <clears throat> So you're, t- you're listening to, to the former middleweight champion of the world, one of the greatest fighters of all time, Kelly Pavlik. This is Ira from Ira on Sports on 95.9, 9, 106.9 in West Palm Beach. And Kelly is also has a podcast called The Punchline. Um, that is an excellent podcast that talks about boxing and, and, and other things. But it's, uh, I mean, as you can see from this, he's, his insight into the boxing is probably better than almost any other person out there. And I guess, Kelly, one of the, one of the things... I, I don't think it's what is described well on television, and I don't think a lot of people understand is, as a boxer, how do you win rounds? I know this sounds like it's an easy question, but it's like, are you in your mind thinking, I got to score this fight? How is this being scored? What do I have to do to actually win over a judge by doing it? I mean, it's almost, I wouldn't say a beauty contest, but it's like, what am I doing? What do you, what's it going in through your mind to actually get that when it's a close fight, when it's not just someone's knocked down or knocked whatever, but what you come to, to get those 10 nine rounds your way rather than 10-9 your opponent's way. Are you saying what, okay, from my standpoint of watching or from being in there in the ring? I, first being in there in the ring. Do, do you even think about it? Because you were such a knockout artist, you probably said, I, but go ahead, but I guess from your perspective first. Okay. Well, I, I'm sorry. 
uh, I got a little mixed up there with my reception. Um, but okay, first I'm going to go off what I think you asked, uh, and, and I'm going to throw out that. The, oh yeah, my my uh, podcast is the Punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez, and the best way to get to it also is if you just go into your address box and put in the put in Punchline dot live. And I'll take you right to the website. You can pull up all, all the uh, past episodes and, you know, a lot of other things on there. So they can subscribe to YouTube and ask questions live as the show goes on. But um, how, how I would score fighting, um, is that kind of where you're going? Yeah, like, well, I guess the question is, do you think about that? I, as a as a boxer in the ring, are you thinking about the scores? Are you just thinking about, hey, look, i got to just execute it and whatever the judges do? Or do you actually, in your mind, think, I have to win this round? Is something you do at the end of the round to try to steal the round? Like They used to talk about Sugar Ray Renard stealing rounds in the last 10 seconds all the time. Is that something that you focused on as a boxer? Or you just like, look, I'm just going to do what I have to do and the judges will let the judges score how they feel it? A really good question. I actually, you know, it's all all of the above. Um, sometimes in a fight, a fight can be really uh, action packed, and you're in there, and you're you're kind of in a groove, and you're not really paying attention. And sometimes, usually in the middle rounds, and, and you're kind of just going, and you're not really paying attention to if you're winning the round. You feel like as if you are. Um, some rounds, um, you could be winning, and you don't feel like you're winning the round. So yeah, you pick it up a little bit. The ten second knock is a old um, tradition boxing year. You hear the ten second knock, pick it up. You know, if you gotta throw if you're at the other end of the ring, just start throwing punches. <laughs> you know what I mean? you're trying to steal the last because usually the perception is that the judges uh, really remember the last part of the round. Well that's why they tell the fighters to do that. And I believe it does work. I mean I've seen it with some casual fans, you know, watching boxing a guy could be winning an entire round, and if he hits the guy with two good shots at the end of the round, he just stole that round, you know. So that's why they tell you that, like, usually you have a guy with a stopwatch on in the corner, and he'll, he'll do something with 30 seconds left, or they'll have you wait till you hear a 10-second knock. Um, but, yeah, it all comes down to, uh, to me. Like, there was plenty of fights where I was so into the fight, I wasn't even really, you know, thinking if I won that round or not. Uh, usually, I, you know, before the fight, I would tell my trainer to keep me posted like every three rounds of to what's going on. And then you get the last part of the fight. Like, usually around eight or nine round, the trainer will tell you, like, hey, you're down. Like, you got to really, like, do something spectacular here, or you got to win out. So, <laughs> you'll get that. You get the notifications. And, and some guys might be different. Some guys might be very um, aware of what's going on. Me, I was always too busy. I figured if I was throwing eighty some punches around, you know, it's going to be hard for some somebody else to win them. <laughs> you won. You won almost. You won the vast majority of all the rounds uh, you've ever fought with forty wins and two losses. But I guess the other question would be in terms of. Did you see anything from Canelo and Triple G? What were they were trying? I, I, I was interested that uh, Max Keller, a lot of the commentators said, well, Triple G said he was going to make it a street fight, and because he, he jabbed and didn't make a street fight, judges were going to hold that against him. Do you think they did, or just think they just felt that Canelo was, as you said, getting the body shots, controlling the, the middle of the ring? Yeah, well, I think that both came to play with that, too. I mean, those are some wicked body shots. And I don't know score, but they should. By all rights, they should score body punches. I mean, that, that's a hell of a tactic, and it's landing. I mean, you're, you're causing damage to people with body shots, and I think the reason why, and this is another one where I had to fight going to Canelo, because Canelo was dictating. Them body shots were taking the air out of uh, Triple G, and they were hurting him, and Triple G could not do what he wanted to do. Triple G could not bring that pressure and back up, so the only thing for Triple G to kind of do was to exaggerate that jab, you know, and use it even more than what he than what he wanted to because that was kind of like the only thing that he could do without getting his ribs barbecued. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and truly it was. I mean, Canelo with those body shots took him totally out of his, his game. And if, you, if anybody wants to argue that, it's very simple to see how Triple G fights every one of his fights and then watch that fight. I mean, he I think he threw in the first five rounds like that I could remember Ten right hands. Uh, he was he was hesitant to throw because he didn't want to get hit to that body. 
and then Rounds went to Canelo, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, so it was going home for his job. So you're saying that his, for him throwing nothing but jabs, mainly the whole first half of the fight, and you mean tell me that those body shots that Canelo was throwing? So that right there is just being biased. That's either like somebody is really mad at Canelo because he filled the drug test and you know, this, that, or that they just really like Triple G. Because if you miss that, then you really ain't watching boxing, you know, to really notice. Or you didn't watch, you don't know much of Triple G's past. Um, fights because Canelo took him totally out of, out of his game with those body shots, and um, I mean you can't go. And even if Triple G landed more punches in the later rounds and won those later rounds, won those more convincingly, you can't go back on a scorecard and erase what Canelo already did, though. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter. Right. We're talking to Kelly Pava, former middleweight champion of the world, who has a podcast called The Punchline, and um, you're on 95.9, 106.9 in West Palm Beach. And just a couple more questions, Kelly. Um, is do you Are you looking forward to a third fight? Because it seems like that's what's going to happen. And, uh, and is that something you're looking forward to seeing? You know, I was just talking with that with a buddy today. Uh, I don't think they should have a third fight. Middleweight um, division, these guys, these guys, especially these guys are big punchers. And you know, fight night, they're not 160, they're 180 pounds. These trilogies are good for, like, uh, welterweight or maybe even junior welterweight and down. Trilogies are great. They're smaller guys. But it's just uh, it's science. I mean, and it's just uh, human nature or just the way the body, the anatomy of the body, it can't absorb. Like, even now after this last fight, I don't know how much these guys, even though nobody got dropped or, or knocked out, I don't know how much this fight took out of them. Um, you know, it was a brutal, tough fight. And you have two very powerful guys that are hitting each other. I personally would not want to see it, a third one. I don't think there's, first of all, for control, no matter how controversial it is, there's no, you don't really have to give Triple G a rematch. You know, I'd be like, well, then if you give Triple G a rematch, then Triple G should have gave Danny Jacobs a rematch. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Canelo, you had a draw, and Canelo won. So no matter what, but I'm just saying overall health-wise, we don't even know what damages could come from this fight. And I'm not saying going into the next fight you're going to notice it, but you know you may notice it within a year, year and a half, maybe. Uh, it's just a lot of a brutal fight. Uh, I think it could take a lot out of them. But um, you know there may be a trilogy because there's a lot of money involved in it. But at the same time, I would prefer not to especially at their weight and how hard these guys hit in the type of fight that they had, I, I would be a little nervous about a third one. I think a third one would pretty much sum up, like, I know is still fairly young, right? and I think if he has one more fight, then his career would be summed up as the trilogy with Triple G, and it would be a little shorter than, than what he you know, he could have done. And one last question. And one last question is the is the fight that now the other fight I think Floyd Mayweather hijacked. They said the fight in terms of bringing up the idea of fighting Manny Pacquiao. Um, any interest in seeing that fight at all? No, <laughs> I mean I'll probably end up having to watch it. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean even the first time they fought, uh, they had, you know they were both past their prime, uh, and. And Manny was definitely past his prime. You know, uh, Father Time catches up to everybody differently. And But with both of them, you know, it's a matter of time. Manny Pacquiao looked fairly good in his last fight. Uh, but against two, you know, you have to look at it like that. And I think now, though, it's just more of a money thing. Or I don't know if there's like a personal thing out there where Floyd is doing that, you know, trying to screw over maybe Deontay Wilder's first uh, shot at pay-per-view fight. I, I don't know the reasoning behind it. Maybe he's chasing that uh, first athlete billionaire from from the sport by itself alone. I, I don't know what the reasoning is behind that, but uh, I, I'm I'm not a fan of it. Any and one last question, Kelly is: Is there any fight, the Joshua fight? Is there any fight out there in the next few months that you're like, boy, that's a, that's a great fight? These are two good fighters with the matches. Some fight that I should keep my eye out to make sure I can watch. No, you know, a lot of them just happened. I mean, Porter Garcia was a big matchup. Uh, you know, obviously, Canelo Triple G. And right now, there's not many big big ones out there. I mean, of course, a lot of them are, are going to be a little safe because they all 
lead into another big fight or, you know, the, the future of the divisions. But, you know, I'm waiting to see some of these fights like that Mikey Garcia, Lomachenko, who I'm close with both of the guys. And I'm looking forward to the heavyweight division to really pop back up and, and get like the Joshua Wilder fight. You know, uh, Earl Spence and Crawford, or even Crawford and, you know, one of the other guys like Porter. So, I mean, there's a lot of names out there and there's a lot of big fights to be made. And this is probably the hottest boxing has been, I would say, 2017, 2018. has been phenomenal years for boxing and the box office shows it in the numbers. But now it's starting to get that little thing again to that point where everybody's kind of like sidestepping and going somewhere else. And I think that's really hard to do at the welterweight division right now because it's so loaded and so is the middleweight. So hopefully these promoters keep matchmaking these fights and putting them on for the fans because so far i got nothing to complain about. <laughs> that's good. Kelly, thanks a lot. Before you go, you can just give us your how to, how to get the punchline, your podcast uh, again. And I, I appreciate you for coming on 95.9, 9, 106.9. Uh, oh. Thank you. Well, always a great time. And I appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, it's just you go to punchline.live, and I'll take you, and you can subscribe to the YouTube, or you can go to YouTube and put in The Punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez, and, um, you know, we're on Facebook Live also. You know, you can find out on Facebook, The Punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez, so... Uh, good show. We'll, we'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow. On <laughs> all right. Well, thanks a lot, Kelly. Maybe for get you on one day, Ira. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thanks for coming on tonight and talking about the big fight. And we'll certainly have you in the future. We'll see what other great fights are going to come up. So thanks again for coming on our show. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. So you're listening to 95.9, 106.9, Ira on Sports. Uh, we just talked a lot about uh, the Canelo Alvarez Triple G fight. And we began, we're going to go back to the NFL. Um, I was at the Steeler Chiefs game. Uh, it was a very exciting game. I guess exciting is a word, but um, let's just say this, is that the last time the Steelers played at Heinz Field, they lost 45-42 to to Jacksonville. So that means that the Steelers have now scored 79 points in two games, their last two home games, and lost both games. The Steelers were known most used to be known as the Steel Curtain defense. I really think right now they have no curtains. There's not a paper curtain. There's just no curtains. It's like you buy, you rent a house, and there's just no curtains there, and you have to like maybe hang some sheets up. But there's not even hanging the sheets up. Uh, Pat Mahomes for Kansas City. Uh, was just simply amazing. I mean, that's what everyone has been talking about. It's 23 for 28, 326 yards and six touchdowns. Now that means he had five incompletions and six touchdowns. Not five interceptions and six touchdowns, five incompletions and six touchdowns. The Chiefs averaged 8.3 yards a play. Eight, three point, that's almost a first down every time they touched the ball. This, it was just the weirdest game I've ever seen. Because the Steelers, the Chiefs jumped up to a 21-0 lead. The Steelers came back and tied it 21 at halftime. I'm like, all right, the Steelers play terrible. They fixed the defense. But then they start the second half. It's 28-28. And then suddenly this, the Chiefs went up 42-28. to And the Steelers battled back and battled back, but not enough. They got a safety. I mean, they just could not stop Kansas City. And they almost were blowing the game in the first half. There was 21-0, and Ben Rotzenberger fumbled the ball in the end zone. The Chiefs recovered it to make it 28-0, but there was a holding call, defensive holding on Kansas City. Otherwise, the game probably would have been over. Um, an interesting thing since 1940 teams, this is, if you want to make a bet since 1940 teams scoring 37 points at home with no turnover were 386 and zero, 386 and zero. That's like one of the best percentages I've ever seen. And the Steelers then broke that streak. I mean, Ben Rotsberg threw for 39 for 60 for 452 yards, three touchdowns. He actually passed John Elway for number seven on the all-time list of yardage. Um, Juju Smith's sister had 13 catches. Antonio Brown had nine, but it was fighting with the offensive coordinator. He was targeted 18 times, only caught nine passes. And I really think Ben was forcing in the ball. I don't think Antonio got open. And I, I've watched him now these two games, and I don't think he's playing as well as he did uh, last year. Juju's been open. I mean, Juju's open, and they dump him the ball, and he throws, and he had an amazing game. Uh, James Conner played well. He had five catches, 48 yards. Didn't run the ball, but the Steelers really weren't in a position to run a lot. But the problem with the Steelers is 
Artie Burns from Miami is a first rounder. This is all their safeties and cornerbacks. 2016 first round. Sean Davis from Maryland, second round, 2016. Cameron Sutton was a third rounder, 2017. Edmonds this past year was a first rounder. And Morgan Bennett from Green Bay was signed. You have all these first and second and free agent signings and the defense. Mahomes looked great, but as someone was at the game, he had his options. He could have thrown to anybody. There were sometimes three or four wide receivers open. The Steelers were playing a defense and that was, they were playing cover two, they was zone, whatever, but it wasn't, they weren't covering the Chiefs. The Chiefs were wearing red, so it was very clear when you could see they're open, but it was like Mahomes looked and he could have thrown at almost any play to three different people. And even Mahone said, I could add another touchdown because I missed by a foot throwing a 90-yard, nine-yard touchdown pass. And this is his only second game, second game of uh, as a quarterback. And he's had six touchdowns. But it was just the weirdest thing. I mean, the Steelers had 33 first downs. So they moved the ball. They actually, you know, you score 37 points, you should win. But the Steelers, who I'm the biggest fan of, a big supporter, if they play defense like this, they're not going to beat anybody. I mean, this is the NFL. And if they don't, they have got to start playing better defense. And, and it's hard to think what's, what they're going to do. I mean, when you're this bad and this horrendous, it's hard. But they, they're going to play Tampa Bay next week. And uh, if you're looking at fantasy... Tampa Bay has a, a tight end called O.J. Howard from Alabama. And Howard had a good game this past week. I'd put him in your lineup this week because the Steelers completely cannot guard any tight ends at all. And I would expect Howard to have five catches for 100 yards and two touchdowns. And I'll be at the game, but I'm very nervous for the Steelers for that. And Scooter, are you there? Hey, what's up? Yeah, so tell me, so you're a big Giants fan. Big Giants fan, like so, for life. <laughs> you got it. You were watching Sunday Night Football yesterday, correct? So you you sit down. You're at your house. You're excited. You got Saquon Barkley. You got Eli Manning. You got Odell Beckham. You got all these fancy toys. Yeah, and it's kind of sad that we can't use any of them, right? To be honest. So you're like the kid that gets the nice Christmas presents <laughs> and all the fancy toys and all that other stuff, and you just have those toys, and you're like, and put them to the side and not use them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, just have them. <laughs> how about how did you feel after that first play of the game when the Cowboys? What was that? A hundred and fifty yard touchdown pass to Tavon Austin, and how wide open was he? I mean, was he the only? I mean, I was there. Was there, I did not see a giant in the picture. To be fair, in the beginning, uh, Janoris Jenkins kind of tripped himself up by himself that got Trayvon Austin that open. I mean, he was still probably been open, but Janoris Jenkins kind of tripped himself up as as the play started. So right away, I was like, oh, there we go. That's how we're going to start the game. Like, here we go again. So we ended up the Cowboys. I mean, I was trying to, I was getting excited by the game, but the Cowboys ended up winning the game 20 to 13. It was 20 to 3. <laughs> and I mean, it was sort of a boring game. I mean, I think it was exciting because you want to watch the Cowboys and the Giants, but... I mean, the ending was the most exciting part of the whole game where the Giants actually were like, all right, let's try with the last minute to go. We got an onside kick, okay. And the one problem I had with it most, though, is even though we were down for most of the game, every single time we got the ball like in our hands, we wasted, what, five, ten minutes just to punt it back. We'll do 12, 11 plays. Okay, and here's the ball back. Like... We got to think of time management. The offensive line's horrible. Like, and of course, our center just went down, so he's out for the year. He had a broken uh, leg, so it, it's nothing could go right for the Giants at this point. Well, Scooter, you sound really depressed. I am. <laughs> so, all right, but you got the toys. So we let's do. figure out how to use the toys. I mean, I know Schmer has the uh, kind of power running back where it's like, okay, most of the time we're going to give it to. Uh, Saquon and which I mean Saquon's doing the best he can with what he has with the horrible offensive line like they were saying last night is like the the first tackler no one has been able to tackle him on the first tackle he keeps breaking it but it can't just continue going to Saquon because Saquon can't do it alone Eli doesn't have protection so Eli's trying to throw it out and I'm not saying it's not Eli's fault because Eli did miss a uh a few touchdowns the last two games now where he could have just easily thrown it and he's afraid to do it and instead he just messes up in some sort of way. Well, I want to move to another game right now because I'm talking about one of the architects of the Giants and their success was Tom Coughlin and the Giants felt like, uh, we're going to move on from him. His best days are past. Well, he went down to Jacksonville. He's the general manager or whatever the title he wants to have at running the Jacksonville Jaguars. Last year, New England beat Jacksonville in the AFC Championship game 24-20. And Jacksonville talks a lot. I mean, they beat the Steelers last year. And they like to talk and talk and talk and talk how great they are. And usually team, you know, but they backed it up. They beat the Patriots 31-20. They were up 21-3. 
um, totally dominating the game. Uh, the Patriots look bad. Now, the Patriots usually have a game like this every year. They have a game like when they get to Kansas City and they're saying, well, Brady's too old or whatever. But when you look at their, their wide receivers, Dorsett, Hogan, Patterson, they're not getting it done. Edelman's coming back in two games. And Gronkowski was stopped. He had only two catches for 15 yards. But then today they signed Josh Gordon from the Cleveland Browns. And that'll be very exciting to see for a fifth-round draft. didn't sign it, but they traded for a fifth-round draft pick. In 2013, Josh Gordon had 87 catches for 1,600 yards and nine touchdowns. That's 2013. The last four years, he's been drafted in every fantasy league, talked about, talk, 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 but been suspended a million times, uh, had injuries, suspensions, everything. And the Browns just gave up on him. And uh, I think he was at a photo shoot and injured his hamstring at a photo shoot. So now the Patriots, who are trying to, to um, have the same success they had with Randy Ross, when Randy Ross had all his problems and they brought him in there and see what happens when he comes to New England. Uh, Sony Michelle, the running back from Georgia, actually played pretty good this game. He was injured. He came back. So we'll see what happens. But Jacksonville has put their imprint now on the AFC. And they are going to say, look, we might have to go through Jacksonville. And this might be where the AFC championship game is going to be this year. A couple other games I want to go, go over, run through real fast. Atlanta, 31. Carolina, 21-4. People thought Matt Ryan's done. It's finished. It's over. He, I know he's a Super Bowl two years ago. But he was 23 for 28 for 272 yards. And they have a guy who I talked about last week, Calvin Ridley from Alabama, their number one draft choice, who actually got involved in the offense. Four catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. And without Devontae Freeman, this Tevin Coleman ran for 100 yards because they usually split time. But maybe it's better that a lot of people will follow the Falcons. They like Coleman better than Freeman. So he played really well. Panthers, I mean, they're the same thing. They McCafferty, 14 catches, 102 yards. Uh, but no wide receiver. Their wide receivers are terrible for Cam Newton. They drafted DJ Moore out of Maryland. He just got two targets. He was in the first round. But Carolina is going to have to pick it up. But I, I think from Atlanta, from perspective of if you're a Falcon fan, you're like, okay, we're back on track and we're going to have a great year this year. We have the quarterback. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and it's going to be showing that. One of the other big games that happened was uh, the Minnesota Green Bay. I caught the end of the game watching coming out of the Steeler game. Uh, the key play in that game that we're talking about is roughing the passer. As I said earlier, 21 roughing the passer calls last year, or this year, nine at this point last year. Clay Matthews for Green Bay uh, tackled Kirk Cousins or sacked Kirk Cousins as he threw the ball. And uh, it was an interception, but they ruled it a roughing the passer. Minnesota came down, was able to tie and uh, from that perspective. But the signing of Kirk Cousins for Minnesota, we talked about all the quarterback movement, has really worked. Played a really good game. He was 35 for 48, 425 yards, four touchdowns. His two wide receivers, Diggs and Thielen, both had 130 yards, touchdowns, and um, a pretty amazing game. And it's another tie. So they talk about ties in football and why. The reason is that now there's new rules. You you can't just go down and kick a field goal. You have to actually score a touchdown. If you kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance. And it went from 15 minutes to 10 minutes. So I I expect more ties as the year goes on. And also with these field goal kickers missing field goals, that's what you're going to get because you have had, uh, the Minnesota kicker had a chance to win and missed it, and Green Bay kicker had a k- chance to, to miss and missed it also. Um, we're going to go to Dolphins-Jets. Miami 20, Jets 12. Um, as a, but it's funny. The Jets lose 20-12, to 12, and my friends who are Jets fans are like, Sam Darnell, 334 yards. It's like, that's great. We lost, but Darnell played great. As a Dolphins, you know, Tannehill's back to 17 for 23 or 60 yards. Interesting game. They took the lead. They got up the lead. They, you know, they get up 20 to nothing and they held on to win. Very nice game for the Dolphins. It's a game they need to win. They need to win these games against, they need to win against the Jets. They need against the win against the Bills. And maybe they'll get the eight wins or nine wins and get into the playoff competition uh, conversation. Frank, interesting point for the Dolphins. Frank Gore had nine carries for 25 yards. You're thinking, well, so what? But he passed. That put him on the, the list. He passed Curtis Martin. So now it's just Emmett Smith, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, and Frank Gore as the top four runners in NFL history. Um, another game that, I, that really caught my eye was certainly Tampa Bay, uh, Philadelphia. 
I wasn't high on Philadelphia coming the year. I thought there was going to be a hangover. Tampa Bay got up 27-14. I'm watching it on the, you know, watching as the scores come on. Um, Nick Foles had a good game, but the injuries are catching up to Philadelphia. They're just getting hurt uh, from all sides of the ball. Their wide receivers, Jeffrey, is injured. And, and, and I think there is some hangover. Carson Wentz is supposedly coming back next week. I don't think he solves all their problems. But boy, Tampa Bay, what a story. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 402 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. He's like the number one fantasy player in the last two weeks, and he's still available almost every other league. He's, getting, he's throwing to everybody. He has Mike Evans is their big star wide receiver. They have Deshaun Jackson. They have Howard, who, who I talked about, and Chris Godwin from Penn State. Um, amazing game for Tampa. And Scooter, you saw you're a big Tampa Bay Buck fan. You're, you're pretty pleased with that performance? I mean, I'm so far, I was so skeptical. I'm still skeptical on Fitzpatrick or Fitzmagic, as we're calling him right now. But, like, this is the year, like, he's going to be, okay, consistent for now. I mean, right now, I was thinking, okay, like, I, I could have started. Who could have? Okay, I could have started Mike Evans. Well, I think I did start Mike Evans, but like, I'm just saying, I I wasn't trusting it. I was like, all right, it was one good game, Fitzpatrick. You know, this is his year again where he's gonna do decent. But I'm I'm surprised they're doing pretty well. I mean, from last year, they they look like a stronger team, especially with um, what's his name, the the old quarterback. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, so yeah, just just continue. <laughs> we'll continue on, but I, but I guess that wait, one last question: Do you like uh, Fitzpatrick's outfit there in the interview? He I, he has beard goals, not just the outfit, but that beard and the haircut. I know the beard has been there for a while, but the haircut. He actually looks. Someone said he looks like uh, like Conor McGregor's uh, drunk cousin or something like. Well, that. anyway, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> who is from Harvard and who played at the Bills and the Jets and has bounced around everywhere, certainly is off to a very fast start and raised the question that everybody's talking about: Is James? Winston going to have his job back when he comes back. Certainly, if I'm Ryan Fitzpatrick and I look at the Steelers' secondary and the Steelers' defense, I'm thinking I'm going to throw for 800 yards. I cannot see in any way how the Steelers on Monday night, which a game I'll be at, we're going to, I'm going to broadcast from Tampa Bay at that game. I'm going to be there on Monday night. I, I just don't see how the Steelers stop them with this offense that's going. Um, a couple games I want to talk to Chachand. Rams beat Cardinals 34-0. Cardinals aren't very good. Rams look good. And the Rams look like a team that, in a very quiet way, that's, that's what you have to do in the NFL, is that when you're playing a team that isn't good, you win 34 nothing. You just end the game. You don't get into tight games. You have your, you know, they have Goff as the quarterback is playing great, taking on what he did last year. Gurley, superstar running back. Their defense is phenomenal. This is a team that looks really good. And I'm, I'm telling you, sneaky good, because they play in L.A., we don't follow them so much or whatever, but that's, they're a fun team. And uh, the interesting game is the Saints and the Browns. Certainly, the Browns have had hard luck. They had a chance they, they, to kick an extra point to win the game. Their kicker missed three field goals or two field goals. He missed the extra point. The Saints end up winning. But the Saints now are one on one, but they don't look that good. And their offense hasn't clicked. And uh, again, they're a slow starting team, but um, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens later. Tonight, we have Seattle versus the Bears. Uh, the Bears are favored by four. And we're going to see if Russell Wilson can come off uh, a, a shaky performance the first game. Um, he has really no weapons. And the Bears defense now are people talking about the Bears defense. And Colin Mack is playing great and other players are playing great. So I can't wait to watch the game tonight. I'm, I'm predicting... I think Seattle's going to win this game. I just, I think, yeah, I just like Russell Wilson in the big time, and I think the Bears' defense might just be not ready yet for prime time, but we'll see. But let's turn to the NCAA college football. Is that the Penn State Kent State game? But the one theme of this entire weekend of great of good football games was the Big Ten disaster. Penn State beat Kent State, sixty-three to ten. Miles Sanders ran 14 carries for 86 yards. McSorley had three touchdowns. K.J. Hamler, Hamler, who I love, is the fastest Penn State player I've ever seen. And they, they're, they're prepared to play Illinois next week and then Ohio State in two weeks. Ohio State, they play TCU. They, they was a very fun, exciting game. Ohio State's quarterback is really good. Haskins is phenomenal. 28 for, 24 for 38, 344 yards. TCU had the lead in the game in the second quarter, but then they, when you throw a pick six and then – when you let a team like Ohio State just let score, they can score three touchdowns so quickly. 
And uh, they, the one interesting thing about the TCU game was that TCU tried this when Ohio State kicked the ball off. TCU respond, had the one re- returner get the ball and had a guy lying on the ground, like hiding. Well, you're wearing purple on, I guess he wasn't that hiding that well. But then the returner threw it across the field as a lateral, but it was a forward lateral. So even though the guy ran in for a touchdown, it didn't count. But after that, it didn't matter. So those are two wins for the Big Ten. But BYU goes into Wisconsin, beats number six Wisconsin 24-21. Kansas goes and beats Rutgers 55-14. This is Kansas in football, not basketball. Kansas football team that hasn't had two victories over power of conferences in like 20 years in a row. And they beat Rutgers 55-14. Temple beat Maryland 35-14. This is a Temple team that lost to Villanova and Buffalo. And they beat Maryland in Maryland 35-14. Nebraska. Nebraska, the, the great Nebraska with Scott Frost from Central Florida that had lost in like 30 years. He, uh, Troy beats them 24-19. This is another Big Ten team. And Troy, I mean, so, I mean, Troy's had a great run. They Last year they beat LSU 24-21 and the year before lost to Clemson 34-24. South Florida plays Illinois. They win 25-19. Purdue's in the Big Ten. They lose to Missouri 40-37. And then Northwestern, who people thought, boy, they're going to be sticky good this year. They're going to have a good year. Akron. Of the MAC beats them 39-34. So it was not a very good day week for the Big Ten. It also, it, it's bad for Penn State and Ohio State because they're not going to get two teams in. If the Big Ten was supposed to be as good as everyone thought they were, then they would get these two teams in. This is uh, Iron Sports, 95.9, 100.9. It's 8 o'clock. We're going to go a couple minutes long on the show today. Uh, we just had Kelly Pavlik talk about the Canelo Average Triple G fight, but we're fin- talking about college football right now. Alabama, they're unbeatable. Just... Uh, Mississippi went up 7 nothing on them. 7 nothing, And they went up and they went on 62-7. to uh, Alabama's always had a great defense. They've always had great offensive linemen. They've controlled games. Now they have a quarterback that looks like Aaron Rodgers, looks like Tom Brady, and looks like he can just do whatever he wants and their offense can do, and they are almost virtually unbeatable. Um, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State are the other... I guess, power teams that people consider that are good, I can't think that they're within 15 points of Alabama. This is the best Alabama team I've ever seen. It's one of the best college football teams I've ever seen, and I would be shocked if they lost a game. I'd be shocked if someone comes within 10 points of them in a game. Uh, Big upset of the week was LSU over Auburn, number seven. Uh, It was on a last kick. Last year, LSU lost a bunch of games because their kicker missed field goals. They brought in a kicker that they felt was like the best uh, junior college kicker in the country. And he kicked an amazing kick to win the game and beating Auburn in Auburn. Uh, Notre Dame, number eight in the country, barely beats Vanderbilt 22-17. Again, I'm not sold. I think that ranking doesn't make any sense. Uh, Interesting thing for like if you're a Central Florida fan, Boise State beat Oklahoma. Boise State lost Oklahoma State, 44-21. There's um, six bowl games, and one of the slots goes to a non-Power 5 conference team. Last year, UCF got that. This year, people thought Boise State was really, really good. They were going to beat Oklahoma State, win the rest of their games, and go to that. Well, they lost Oklahoma State, and they probably don't have a chance to do it. Um, Central Florida, though, had a game against North Carolina, which was canceled because of the unfortunate hurricane. And they're probably going to have to need to play that sometime in order to get consideration to play again. Uh, Miami beat Toledo, 49-34. Um, I'll tell you what, USC and UCLA, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. Those are proud, proud programs. Fans, I mean, they play in the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl, uh, the great uniforms, Heisman Trophy winners. They're terrible right now. UCLA has Chip Kelly as the quarterback, as their coach. Their quarterback's coach, the quarterback's father is criticizing him on media right now all over the place. They lost to Fresno State 38 to 14. They weren't even favored in the game. They're now 0 and 3. Um, USC was somehow was ranked 22nd in the country. I don't understand. Played Texas that isn't even that good because Texas just lost to Maryland, who we just said lost to Temple, who lost to Villanova. <laughs> so you go through that, and they Texas beat USC 37 to 14, and uh, uh, probably one of the biggest surprises of the whole weekend was Florida State, who people really had high hopes coming in the season. They lost to Virginia Tech earlier. But they lost to Syracuse 30-7 to in a game that wasn't close at all. 30-7 to to Syracuse. Um, they play Northern Illinois, which they could lose. They're at Miami, Clemson, NC State, Notre Dame, Boston College, Florida. I, Florida State's looking at a season they could win like three or four games if they don't turn this around fast. Uh, and one interesting game was Florida played Colorado State. 
They won 48 to 10. Interesting about this game is that Colorado State was paid $2 million for this game. It's the most a team has ever been paid to play. Because when Jim McElvain left Colorado State and went to Florida, one of the deals was that Colorado State will go to Florida to play and not only get that, but Colorado State will get $2 million. <laughs> so they worked that out. Um, coming up next week, we have UCF and Florida Atlantic. UCF's favorite by 13 and a half. Of course, I talked about Penn State, Illinois. Florida State, that Northern Illinois game again. Um, Miami's playing FIU. In a couple weeks, Miami-Florida State's going to be the big game. Um, the big power teams are Clemson. My, Clemson is minus 15 at Georgia Tech. Georgia's uh, favored by 14 at Missouri. And in a game that shows how powerful Alabama is, and one of the games that should be one of their tough games on the schedule at home against Texas A&M, they're 26-point favorites. On a 26-point favorites on Texas A&M. Uh, and I like a game that I like. If I was going to bet a game this week, Mississippi State's favorite by uh, 10 over Kentucky at Kentucky. Kentucky's playing really, really well. We talked about them last week. An easy win this week of Murray State. But I like Kentucky taking those points. And then to show you how far Nebraska has fallen, Michigan, who really hasn't played that well this year, Michigan's favorite by 18 over Nebraska. So I'm excited about what's going to go on next week, and we're going to talk about those things. And one big story for South Florida is that Dwayne Wade – is coming back to Wade County for one more final year. I'm a huge Heat fan. I love going to the games. I like Dwayne Wade. And I think it's great that he's playing in Heat uniform, and I think it's going to be exciting. Uh, without LeBron in the East, a lot opens up. Um, and I know that he, it's weird that sometimes players make the announcement. Sometimes players like Ginobili just announce their retirement. I guess he's going to have a whole year send-off, but it'll be, uh, it'll, be, it'll be pretty great. So anyway, this has been this has been Ira Viron Sports 959 106.9 from the True Oldies. And we'll be back next week. I'll be broadcasting from Tampa Bay and uh, talking about the Buccaneers Steelers game. So thanks a lot. And this has been Ira from Iron Sports.